Welcome to the Loved Called Gifted podcast. This is your place to come for musings about spirituality, identity and purpose. I'm your host, Catherine Cowell. I'm really, really delighted to be joined for this episode by Godfrey Bertel. So thank you very much, Godfrey, and greetings. It's a pleasure. Do you want to tell us a little bit about where you are just now and what you get up to? Well, I've entered an interesting time in my life. I've just turned 70. I've slowed down on the travelling. I used to do a lot. I was constantly on the road and flying abroad and but a couple of years ago, actually, it was around the time of the start of the pandemic, 2020. We moved to Cornwall. We're right on the coast, on the coastal pathway. We sense the days of traveling constantly were drawing to an end and to take an easier pace. So the pandemic, in a strange way, although a terrible thing, it sort of helped me get used to not traveling. Uh, because, to be honest, I, I absolutely loved it. I enjoyed the whole buzz of travelling, you know. And my wife and myself, we agreed it was time. I still do some things just for friends, you know. So I'll do the odd sort of uh, thing for them. But I'm still writing. I still write all the time. I'm doing an album, a live album, on March the 1st in Wales, St David's Day. And I've done an album almost every year that I've been travelling. Each album is a year's songs, you know. <laughs> so it's almost like your equivalent of a photo album. You could say that, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's something uh, I've often aligned my life as a press photographer, which I, which I was for 20-odd years. I've often aligned my songwriting with taking photographs. There's a real similarity. So with a photograph, you get an eye for a picture, whereas other people might miss it because they, they're not looking for it or they're not necessarily looking for it. And I think, wow, that would make a great picture, you know, but say my wife, Jill, and anyone with me wouldn't have seen it. Yeah. But yet I'd go away and develop it. This is the old days and show them the picture and they go, oh, wow. And I think that's... A similar thing that happens with songwriting for me personally, it's not everybody's way of doing it, but I kind of catch a snapshot. So it may be over conversation, it may be reading something, like at the moment I'm reading the hymns of Saint Ephraim of the Syrian, uh, you know, which is uh, kind of out there, you know, hymns from the 1200s and things. And I may just read something and it goes bang. And this actually did spark off a new song when I was reading through it. And so that become a snapshot for me to go and develop in the dark room, as it were, <laughs> and uh, and then bring forth a song yeah. uh, out of it sort of thing. Yeah. yeah. So for people who've not heard of you, you're a Christian singer-songwriter. I think one of the things it might be worth saying is that your songs are fairly unique. Your style is quite unique. So if people have got a kind of an image of worship music and they haven't heard yours, then they probably haven't got the right image of it. Spotify made me laugh the other day. It offered me <laughs> it offered me more like Godfrey Bertel. And I have to say, I thought <laughs> you are lying to me. <laughs> I don't think there is more like Godfrey Bertel. 
I had remembered quite a lot of years ago, we'd sung some of your songs in church and then I'd not really engaged with your music for quite a long time. And then we host a Saturday morning, what we call the soul space, which is really room for people to come and be and to have a bit of silence in God's presence and to share some stuff on a theme. And a dear friend of ours, Charlie, Charlie Bruff was part of our group um, and something of a fan. And so if there was a theme where she could possibly bring along one of your songs, then she would. And I was sort of reintroduced to your work through that. And as I said, when I emailed you, Charlie incredibly sadly died very, very suddenly on Boxing Day this year, just gone. And part of the joy that she brought, there was a sort of a real bounciness. And I think there's something about the bounciness of your music and the joy of it that really resonated with her. And it just struck me that she would be delighted if I was to do a podcast with you. So I reached out and you very kindly agreed to do it. Oh, definitely. I did a podcast with Charlie back in November talking about her spiritual journey and things which was really blessed. So my my entry drug, if you like, to listening to more of your music was something that she brought when we were talking about Grace a few months ago. And it's a song I found hugely helpful. So if I read a couple of the words, it starts off, there is no need to press in when I'm already here. No point in wearing yourself out on a treadmill of prayer. Be still, be still. Just be still and know that your efforts aren't necessary. I was hugely touched by that. And if people aren't familiar with that kind of Christianese language about pressing in, I have been in lots of situations where there's been huge amounts of encouragement to work very hard at praying and to work very hard at drawing close to God. And just that assertion that we don't need to do that. Yeah, it really touched me. It really touched me. My my wife and myself, we were heavily involved in the very, you know, sort of pressing in kind of movement, you know, the intercession movement, which is great, you know, the intercession movement. But I, I think we'd kind of hit a wing of it, but got slightly maybe out of hand, you know, even the Lord wondered what we're up to, I think, you know, it got a bit crazy here and there. And then we came to a place of, of just simplicity, of, of, of a real simplicity. And just realizing the the presence of the Lord Christ in us, the hope of glory, you know, and coming to a place, you know, the scripture really hit me where Paul said, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Christ and him crucified. And both my wife and myself came to a place of almost like a rebooting in our lives. And it was almost like the camel going through the eye of the needle, where we'd learned a lot of stuff over the years, you know, of charismania, if you like, you know, uh, we'd learned a lot of things, but we coming back to the simplicity. It was like the Lord was saying, "Just come through, like the camel coming through the eye of the needle, and leave some of this stuff behind." You know, in fact, leave the camel behind. <laughs> you know, it was like the camel represented what we'd built up ministry-wise, what we'd built up. You know, and uh, so it was like, leave that, let go of that. And some of the very complicated stuff we got involved in, you know, on the whole intercession prophetic movement, it was ever so complicated and ever so very cerebral and all the rest of it. And it was like the Lord was saying, come back to the cross, come, come back to Christ and him crucified. Let this be your message. So my songs changed radically from there. A lot of my songs, my older songs, they were like, 
part of my past now, you know, and uh, I felt the Lord was showing me to write a new song, uh, new songs flowing in me and through me. And I remember a friend of mine at the time said to me, I feel the Lord's causing you to write songs and they're going to be gospel songs. Your, your new songs are going to be gospel songs. And that actually is what's happened, you know, and I know we tend to think gospel songs as a certain genre of music, but there's almost a new genre of gospel song, if you know what I mean, which is basically finished work songs, songs from the place of the finished work of the cross, that Christ has done it, you know. So whereas some of my old songs would have been begging and pleading, that kind of fell off me and, and just feeling, knowing I'm secure in Christ, knowing who I am in Christ. And so that changed. So did that change that's been in your songs from kind of, we need to work hard for God to actually God's done it all? Did that come along with an inner change for you, an inner shift in your awareness of who God is or how God sees you? Yeah, it did really. I mean, it doesn't mean that there's nothing to do, you know, it's not, Absolutely. It's not uh, yeah, I mean, there's a work to do. I believe in the gospel and, and it's his life in our life, knowing who we are in Christ is what makes a difference, though, that takes us beyond working to get somewhere or to, as the song says, trying to please God, whereas being in the place of knowing he is pleased with us and yeah. receiving that and walking in that so that we're not walking in guilt constantly you know and always thinking oh dear what a mess i am sort of thing i don't know if that makes sense yeah it does i suppose to be simplistic about it it's the difference between giving your wife flowers in order to make her love you mm -hmm. in order to please her and already knowing that that's the case and kind of buying flowers just because just because you're celebrating the love that you're already sure you've got I, that's it. If that's yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And so it was just a radical change. I mean, everything was fine before this particular moment, mm -hmm. you know, because it was actually a moment, you know, it was, it was like suddenly getting the revelation of Christ's finished work, of what actually happened at the cross. It was like a moment, my wife, Jill, and myself together, we both sort of suddenly thought, oh my goodness, what have we been doing? You know, so we thought about all the crazy things we've done over the years. You know, you know, that we focus on numbers or focus on this or focus on that. And it was like the Lord was showing to focus us in on Christ and knowing who we are in Christ. That's the big deal. You don't have to come up with a prophecy every year and stuff like that. You know what I mean, it's, it's sort of, you know, it's knowing who you are, resting in me, knowing who you are in Christ. It doesn't mean that we're lazy, it doesn't mean we don't do anything. We love, you know, that's, we love, we love people. And I think the big change was, you know, whereas before, I think really it was quite judgmental, you know, to, to some people, you know, and, and particularly, uh, say, people in bars or things like that, or people that were doing crazy things or whatever. And, and but, uh, but a switch went off. And, and something switched on to, to see people. It's like my eyes, I started seeing people, I guess how Christ would see them and not rejecting them. So I could go in a pub and see people through the love of the Lord, you know, and knowing Christ's love for just ordinary people, you know, just going about the life, you know. That really comes through in some of your lyrics. Something I've listened to quite a few times recently is your song which begins, Do You Believe What I Believe About You? Yeah. And it's just yeah. a love song. 
Just a love song. Do you know what I know to be true? I put eternity into your heart. I've been madly in love from the very start. And forever we belong together. And just beautiful. <laughs> really beautiful. That came about through reading scripture and realizing how a lot of people you read about in scripture, it's like they they got that revelation of knowing who they are and knowing what God believes about them. And it's like the Lord was saying to me, you know, do you believe what I believe about you, not what you believe about yourself? I think it was Abraham you know, believed what God believed about him. You know, it says Abraham believed God and that was accredited to him as righteousness. And when I, I remember seeing a commentary on that where it said Abraham believed what God believed about him. And thought there's such a key in that, you know, mm. believing what God believes about you. So many of us believe, and I've done it myself, believe what other people believed about me, you know. Even what I believed about myself was wrong, but believing what God believes and, and, and hearing what God has to say to you about your life. You may just find the Lord is very encouraging. <laughs> 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 Encourage yourself in the Lord, yeah. <laughs> well, you, you, you have another song which is entitled, I'm Not Disappointed in You. Or yeah. But, yes. yeah. Well, that comes about because I, I played quite a lot at psychiatric wards because I had my own issues in my youth uh, when I was uh, a teenager and stuff. And ended up through the drug scene mainly, you know, ended up in, in a ward for a while. So years later, I wanted to go back in when I got a hold of the gospel. But it was, wasn't until I'd actually written that song, Do You Believe What I Believe, that the door opened to go in to play that song. A psychiatric nurse had heard it and one of the patients was playing the song and it was really helping them. So they asked me if I'd go in, you know, so I did that. While I was there and I played in a, a youth ward, you know, adolescence ward, which should be the same age that I was when I was in a ward, I just felt in the ward such a heavy disappointment. And I remembered to my own experience of being a teenager I felt I'd let my family down, and I just felt disappointed. I was weighed down with disappointment, and I felt that same disappointment among these young people. It reminded me of when I was in there myself, and just sensed in my spirit the Lord wanting to say to them, I'm not disappointed in you, and I'm not disappointed in you. And that's how the song really came about. We need to take that into the psychiatric ward and sing to them, oh, I'm not disappointed. I never have been. I never will be. I felt the Lord saying, I don't even do disappointment. Hmm. You know? <laughs> I know you. I knew you before you were born. And then in the middle of the song, a strange thing came about, but it was like the, the tune Jingle Bells. It just flowed out in the middle of the song, you know. I remember playing it to my wife, the song when I'd first written it. She always gets the first hearing, and uh, she said, yeah, I lo love the song, but that Jingle Bells is dead weird, you know. <laughs> that's, 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 that's just crazy, you know. I said, well, I really feel I have to keep it in. And, and sure enough, I kept it in, I very seldom go across what she says but I kept it in and uh, the number of people who've said that Jingle Bells has so helped me and there was one woman in particular who hadn't been able to celebrate Christmas for like 30 years and she said when she heard that song and she heard the Jingle Bells she just felt the weight of that lift off and she could celebrate Christmas again and there were a number of people said to me that where that little Jingle Bells thing <laughs> really did something so you just never know sometimes do you you know is there a bit about dancing in that song? Yeah, you see where the Lord's saying, I love to dance with you. Yes. Yeah. yeah. 
And of course, the dance of the Trinity. Yes. Yeah, I've noticed that as a bit of a theme, which is... Mm. A friend of mine, Baxter Kruger, is a theologian. Yeah, he's written a book on the dance of the Trinity. Yeah, he's pretty hot on that. I think he's Episcopalian. He's American, you know, but it's like the Anglican. It's good to be connected with people that are all different parts of the body, I believe. <laughs> yes, yeah, definitely. <laughs> Including yeah. 12th century hymn writers. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they fascinate me. Yes. Uh, so that idea of the dance of the Trinity, how would you describe that? The beauty of Father, Son and Holy Spirit, their relationship and and her and their, through Christ in Christ we're we're welcomed into that relationship, into that kind of dance, you know, is a great way of describing it. So I wrote this song, uh, It's a Wonderful Dance. Yes. And that's uh, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And we're included in this wonderful dance. We're included in. They're like, come on, come on in the dance. Participating in this worship. It's already happening. It's not started by a worship leader. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> it's already there. We just join in. Yeah. 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 I, in fact, I started calling myself a worship leader a long time ago when I saw that, actually, when I realized that. I, I just call myself a gospel singer. <laughs> <laughs> Singer of good, good news. news. Yes, yeah. I love that image of the Trinity as a dance that we are invited to join in with. And there was a bit listening to you singing the wonderful dance song where there's a kind of repeated, we're in, we're in, we're in, we're in, we're in. That's right. Jesus. Yeah. And, yeah. and the, <laughs> the joyful exuberance of that invitation and that assurance that we're in, we're, we're in the dance, yeah. I think is, yeah, yeah. it's beautiful. I also lead it to sing, I mean. Because I've sung that in bars, you know, I've done quite a few bars, like playing these songs. And so I remember there was one pub, it's in Lincoln, it's called The Wildlife, this pub. <laughs> and the landlady behind the bar, she didn't really want it in there, but she just did it, you know, she allowed us in. And anyway, by the end of the evening, you know, she's behind the bar going like, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, makes it all worth it. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. It's, it's funny because yesterday I was reading from Matthew's Gospel, and the fact that the Pharisees were kind of trying to keep up with Jesus and trying to check out that what he was doing was all right. There's the bit where somebody breaks down the ceiling of a house in order to lower their friends through the floor, and Jesus heals their mate. And then in Matthew's Gospel, immediately after that. Jesus meets Matthew, the tax collector, and he leaves all his stuff and then throws a big party, a banquet for Jesus and his followers. But just that kind of flow of energy and the different things that Jesus was doing and the fact that Jesus is responding to the dance steps that the people around him were making and the gifts that they were bringing. So the people lowering their mate through the ceiling and Levi, Matthew, wanting to throw a banquet for Jesus with all the wrong people in inverted commas. And the fact that Jesus was very happy when the woman brought the perfume to pour on his feet, that kind of welcoming of all of those gifts, whether people wanted to dance closely or not quite so closely, there's a sort of a real invitation into that, which also in my head tangentially kind of connected with when you were talking about all of the sort of stuff that you used to do, the kind of the hard work stuff or the, the fairly intensive intercession. And it did occur to me that 
God doesn't reject any of that, just like the woman with the yeah. perfume. You know, yeah. the gifts that we bring with the love that we're able to do it, there's a real welcome of that. But yeah, the dancing, yeah. I think, is just, it's yeah. great, isn't it? <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. I, I'm doing a thing in Wales in April or May, you know, and it's called Joy Fest, and, and they ask me, because they know I like to lead a party kind of thing you know sort of uh, a gospel party you know so which i do i do enjoy i do enjoy it it's great fun i have some sort of party song you know someone once said I, i'm like an adult sishmail you know <laughs> <laughs> ishmael if anybody doesn't know is a kid singer <laughs> yeah. i guess i'm a kid singer really in fact, so some mums have said to me like kids love your albums you play them in the car and stuff like that and then I said, oh, maybe I should do a children's album. And they said, no, 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 they like them as they are. You know, if you made them into kids' albums, they wouldn't like them. <laughs> <laughs> They're naturally childlike, you know. <laughs> I do keep them simple, mate. not complicated. There's a power to that. And I really appreciate the lack of cliché. For me, anyway, it means that quite often something that you've written helps me to see something from a different angle or touches something in me in a way that I hadn't spotted before. So I like all kinds of songs. I'm not criticising any mm -hmm. of the songs, but um, no, no. but there is something about not using the cliches and sticking stuff in that doesn't normally find its way into kind of Christian songs, I think, opens something up, which is really rather cool. Yeah, I'm certainly doing it without trying. But one thing that does happen, though, is that uh, when I've written a song, as I said before, I play them to jail, my wife. She's the first to hear them. And anything that says sung before somewhere, she immediately roots it out. Said, no, you've got to take that out. You know, take that out. You know. <laughs> so she won't allow anything that's almost anything that's already been sung. You know. So she, <laughs> she keeps me on that. Yeah. But also, uh, it's funny. I was listening to David Bowie the other day, and he was talking about writing songs. He said you mustn't write songs for uh, people. It's not exactly his quote, but what he was putting across. He said, you you must be almost like a little dangerous, you know, <laughs> in your songwriting. Where you're pushing the edge and it's almost like your feet aren't quite touching the floor. He said, that's just the right place to be. If you're in control of it all and it's all like the same, it's, it's good to be where you are pushing the edge. You don't have to try to push the edge, but there's a sense, I think sometimes I've put words in that wouldn't be acceptable for Christian radio. I, I was thinking that the other day, you know, be a good album, that band on Christian radio. <laughs> <laughs> Unsuitable for Christian radio. Yeah, a little sticker, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious what I'm, I'm curious as to what words you've used that you think wouldn't fit on Christian radio. Oh my goodness, right. Well, I have one that's going to be on the back end of the next album. It was done live. It's currently on YouTube. I did it while I was in America, in Seattle, and the song's called Are You One Shabba Short of a Breakthrough? If you, you could search for it. And when you've heard it, you might understand why it would be banned. Yeah. <laughs> it's got lines in it, are your prophetic warnings getting boring? Did a donut ruin your 40-day fast? It's a bit of a tongue-in-cheek kind of... It sounds like quite good fun. Yeah, it is fun. It's not serious. I think that... 
one of the things of humility is being able to laugh at ourselves, not take ourselves too seriously. Because all the stuff I mentioned in these songs, I've done them all. I suppose in a little way, it's a little pop at it because I feel they're over, it's overdone sometimes, you know, and it, you know, every time there has to be an altar. Are you sure, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, and I have been at I have been at those things where the altar call starts off fairly specific and becomes broader and broader. I, I did this other song where you know I give it prophetic words. There's somebody here. I just feel there's somebody here, and one of them, one of the lines was, uh, "There's somebody here with a yellow car," <laughs> and I was actually in a meeting where that actually happened, and nobody responded, and there was about a thousand people. There's somebody here with a yellow car, and the guys like. No, no. Well, they must be on the way. <laughs> and he was serious, you know. So that, that's what sparked the song off. There's somebody here. That was your <laughs> picture moment, your picture yeah, moment. Exactly, yeah, yeah. To go and develop go and develop a song called There's Somebody Here. <laughs> and what's your heart behind it? I think exactly what I said. It's a form of humility being able to laugh at ourselves, yeah. you know, like... Yeah. Because I think when we take things like that too seriously, we're kidding ourselves. You cannot be serious. We've got to laugh. I'm sure the Lord laughed his head off, you know what I mean? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Somebody here with a yellow card? No, nope. they must be on their way. I'm sure the Lord <laughs> must have laughed at that, you know. <laughs> and would suggest we did too, you know. <laughs> yes. Not laughing yeah. at the guy, laughing at the situation and things we get into, you know. Plenty yeah. of things where I'm sure God laughs. Yeah. Yes, yeah. I think sometimes we're over serious. There are serious times, of course, but there are times where, come on, lighten up, you know. Yeah. I remember oh, years and years and years ago now, I went to Spring Harvest, which is sort of Christian conferency thing, and you go and listen to lots of people talking and you do lots of singing to God and lots of praying and stuff. And and it was in a time when people were expecting the Holy Spirit to come and things would happen. And quite often, lots of people would sort of fall over whilst they were praying. And that was sort of seen as a sign of God's presence. All of those things happening. I was in my 20s and going and praying really kind of earnestly, lots and lots of earnestness. And I'd kind of, I think I've got myself into a bit of an earnest fizz, really. I was desperate to meet with God, but it, it was all very, very sincere and all very effortful. And I was in danger of imploding. I think. And then I went to listen to Adrian Plass, who is a sort of Christian humorist. And that broke the whole thing open for me. It was just, he made me laugh in gentle and gracious ways. And and it just broke that kind of tension. And I think allowed some space for the Holy Spirit to get in, but not in the kind of intense way that I'd been sort of praying for. And it was really helpful. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It is needed. Uh, I, another guy who can do that is Jeff Lucas, you know. He's, yes. He's quite yeah. hilarious, yeah. And it can be very helpful to people who who really are taking it all too seriously. <laughs> but like I say, there are serious aspects, of course, you know, but you've got to laugh sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yeah. And I think his books did that, didn't he, Adrian Plass, you know. He wrote books that... Uh... Books that we could sort of relate to. I mean, I, I mm. was... I was recalling with somebody the other day, there's that bit where Jesus says, if you've got enough faith, you'll be able to say to this mountain, throw yourself into the sea and it will, which is obviously a metaphor for something. Um, And Adrian Plast, one of his books, decides that he needs to have more faith. And if it takes the faith of a mustard seed to move a mountain, maybe he should start with a paperclip. And so there's all this. 
There's all these bits where he spends an awful lot of time praying for the paperclip to move and it doesn't. <laughs> and then his wife wants to know why he's been shouting at a paperclip. <laughs> Yeah. And then very wisely says, why would God want you to move a paperclip? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. But I think for some of us who have deep and sincere and enthusiastic faith, that shouting at the paperclip moment is not that far from the truth sometimes. Yeah, very true. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I've been there. Yes, did your paperclip move? I didn't actually try that, but... <laughs> But uh, <laughs> yeah, crazy days. But it's it's been a, an adventure, you know, with many ups and downs along the way. But through it all, to me, it's important to keep that humility, not take ourselves too seriously, and to enjoy the adventure and always be teachable. Well, hopefully, the, the further along the road we get, uh, we develop in discernment as well as to what is absolute mumbo jumbo, you know, <laughs> and what is real. And I think what has helped me most, more than anything else, is coming back to the simplicity of the gospel. That is my base, you know, knowing who I am in Christ. Mm. The rest of it, I'm not that bothered about. Different stances and denominations, this is what we believe, this is what we believe. To me, we can meet at the gospel, we meet at the cross. If we can meet there, and, and that's good. Mm. It's coming back to the simple gospel, the good news. Stay there, you know. Yeah. And knowing who we are. It's an international problem. People don't know who they are. The reason they do crazy things is because they don't know who they are. That's why it's absolutely key to present the gospel, whether it be in song and just in our lives, throughout our lives. People discovering who they are in Christ, that so they know they're loved. Because when we know we're loved, we love. When we know we're loved, we carry love. Yeah, yeah. You know, and so it's impossible going doing evangelism if you feel you're hated or you're disappointed in yourself because you carry disappointment. You know? Or if you carry guilt, you know, people can smell it. You know, if you, you you can tell if someone feels guilty, you know, it's so, so important if people want to call themselves evangelists that that they know they are loved, that they're not carrying guilt and condemnation. You know, what you bring is that message that the people you are speaking with are loved too. Yeah, exactly. That's it. Well, that is exactly it. That's what yeah. you carry. It's very hard to put that across if you don't feel it yourself, if you don't know it yourself. Mm. Yeah. And then the evangelism becomes a displacement activity that kind of protects you from your own. Yeah. But there's a lot of people in the church like that, just going through the motions, doing the stuff. I did it myself, you know. That's why I know, you know. <laughs> the big revolution is when you discover actually who you are in Christ and that you are loved, you're lovable. Yeah. yeah. And not out of some sort of duty. I think I think sometimes it's... No. Well, it's warts and all. Absolutely. <laughs> Even me, you know, I wrote, I wrote a song, Have You Seen Who He Hangs Out? Because uh, there was something, I got some bad things said about me once, so I won't go into it, but the person who was saying these things, well, have you seen who he hangs out with? Meaning me, you know. And when I heard this, it inspired me to write a song, Have You Seen Who He Hangs Out With? Yeah. <laughs> Jesus, you know, have you seen who he hangs out you know? He even hangs out with me. Yeah, and me. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and we're all invited into the dance. Absolutely. <laughs> so you're at the beginning of a quieter adventure or in the midst of a quieter adventure? Well, yeah, just I think the big difference is that I'm not travelling constantly. 
So probably writing more, maybe. Uh, although I wrote while I was on the road a lot of the time. So I think the the writing is just a flow. Like I say, the the, the snapshots keep coming. Mm. <laughs> so I'm, I write as a journalist in a way. You know, what I see, what I hear, that's where the snapshots are. I still enjoy it. I love writing songs and then doing a demo of them stuff. Yeah, I still get a buzz out of it, you know. And I feel, I feel the Lord's pleasure as uh, what's his name said in. Chariots of Fire, you know, when I run, I feel his pleasure. I feel the Lord's pleasure when I'm writing songs and singing them and stuff. And, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's brilliant. Thank you so much for your time, Godfrey. Absolute pleasure. Pleasure. Yeah. yeah. Hope you enjoyed this episode of the Loved Called Gifted podcast. If you'd like to get in touch, you can email lovedcalledgifted at gmail.com. You can find a transcript of this podcast at lovedcalledgifted.com and that's also the place to go if you're interested in the Loved Called Gifted course or if you'd like to find out about spiritual direction or coaching. Thank you for listening.